Chapter thirty five of Against Odds by Lawrence L. Lynch. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Chapter thirty five. After all, Trent, of course, was not strong enough to be moved, and that, and the late or rather the early hour, it being now almost two o'clock a.m., decided us to camp down in the house until morning. So the men outside, with Smug in charge, were called in, and with our prisoners securely guarded, we passed the few hours before daylight in conversation, Dave, Jeffreys, Lossing, and myself, in Trent's room. I was doctor enough to see that the poor fellow had been sufficiently startled by our appearance and the events of the night, and so, eager as we were to hear and he to tell his story, we imposed silence upon him, until he could be seen by a physician at least comparative silence and as he declared himself all right except for his weakness and finding that he was very naturally unable to sleep or even to rest quietly we told him briefly the story of our search for him and in telling it led him slowly to the knowledge of his father's presence in the city and the nearness of his betrothed more than once his fine eyes filled with tears and his lips trembled as we told of his sweetheart's telegrams and his father's anxiety and when he had heard it all he lay a long time silent but wakeful and evidently thinking and at last just as the first faint streak of grey became tinged with a beam of red in the east he fell asleep with a smile upon his pale lips when the negress had been removed from the room she had begged to be taken to her dear mrs susie who she declared was sick enough to die and i led her upstairs to the room where the pale worn woman still lay in the room from which her husband had been removed as the negress entered the room the woman lifted her head and with an inarticulate cry threw herself into her servant's arms there was a moment of wild sobbing and then as i was about to set a guard at the door and withdraw the negress uttered a shrill cry caught the slender form in her stout arms and laid her upon the bed and i saw a thin stream of blood trickle from between the white lips restoratives were at hand for this was not the first attack the negress said and when the woman had been cared for and at last lay sleeping from exhaustion and i fancied the help of an opiate i questioned the servant her mistress she said was a southern woman and she had been her servant since before the war when that mistress was a child of six an orphan with a small fortune mistress susie had married greenback bob master robert she called him and had followed him and clung to him through all his downward career of crime as the big heavy-featured coloured woman had clung to miss susie when prosperous bob was kind when unlucky or drunk he was cruel and coarse mrs susie had inherited consumption and that and trouble and danger had won her life away as the woman said with big tears dropping upon her dark cheeks This last she concluded it's been the worst of all and that sick boy Mrs. Susie prayed him to let him go away to the hospital when he was hurt and couldn't give anyone away But they never heard to Miss Susie never they wouldn't have been trapped like this if they had It was by my proposal to bring the physician whom at an early morning hour I summoned to see Trent to pass judgment upon mrs. Susie also That I won the negress to tell me something about Trent 
how at early evening he was brought in by bob and delbras whom she called hector and whom she evidently both feared and hated how a physician was called as the young man was insensible and how fortunately for them he continued delirious for three weeks and more while the two wounds on his head both serious ones were healing how the gang had deliberately taken the risk of keeping him until he had so far recovered as to be beyond the danger line knowing that they could not safely negotiate the return to his family of a prisoner who might die perhaps while the negotiations were pending she told how some one of the gang proper was always on guard in the sick-room by day and often by night and that it was only since the going away of one of the gang harry by name that they had entrusted the prisoner to her care alone it did not take me long to find out that the person she called harry was the brunette now lying dead at the morgue and i saw too that she did not dream of the fate that had overtaken him although i felt sure that the woman susie did at early dawn the three men delbras bob and smug or harris as his companions called him were taken away under charge of dave brainerd and jeffreys to be locked up and safely kept until jeffreys should take delbras to new york and thence to france the others would await our appearance against them when the physician came i took him from young trent's bedside to that of mrs susie of trent he had spoken only words of cheer his wounds were healing had healed in fact healthily and with no danger of after trouble mental or other and now he needed only good nursing good food tonics stimulants and for a little longer quiet and not too much company he might be moved he told us upon a cot and for a short distance that afternoon and he commended us for our wisdom in not following up the excitement of the previous hours with an instant meeting between the invalid and his father and sweetheart now after a light breakfast and a good nerve tonic he might see his friends when they had been prepared and warned against unduly taxing the patient's nerves and strength of the sick woman above stairs there was a different tale to tell she might linger for weeks but for her there was no recovery when the negress hat her mistress called her heard this she was inconsolable and when i had promised her that if possible she should remain with her mistress to the end she was ready to be my slave and knowing that nothing could help or hurt her mistress more she was willing to tell me what she could about the gang and their methods she had no love for her mistress's husband and she seemed to have remembered against him every unkind deed or word spoken or done to her mrs susie delbras she had ever feared and hated and smug she despised as the coward decoy for the gang for harry she expressed a liking he was bad that's true she declared sharp as you please and tricky but he was good to my mistress when the others forgot her he was good to her always and he bought her books and fruit when he dressed in woman's clothes she would help him and he never forgot to thank her but they quarrelled harry and bob and the frenchman and he left night before last i told her of harry's fate and she cursed his slayers with oaths like a man's and after that her testimony was ready and it helped us much as for susan kendricks for this was the name by which the poor soul had wedded greenback bob there came a time when she told me her story and a sad sad page it was with little light anywhere upon it 
she had taken little part in their dangerous enterprises only now and then appearing somewhere with harry when he was masquerading as a girl in order to mislead the officers or the neighbors in their estimate of the number and sex of the gang or to play a part as on the night when she personated june jenris in order to entrap lossing but when the ships in port who cares to wait for the furling of the sails the journey ended we go ashore little need to describe the meeting between gerald trent and his friends which occurred shortly after the going away of the gang and the visit of the doctor he told them the story of his disappearance and the manner of it was briefly thus at one of the small tables in the public comfort cafe he had dined opposite smug whose confiding and kindly obliging manner and general air of being a good but rather slow young man made him an invaluable decoy for the gang here trent's rather careless display of a well-filled purse together with the fine watch he carried and his valuable diamonds quietly but mistakenly worn had no doubt attracted smug who had made himself agreeable but not obtrusively so and had contrived to meet him again and yet again the last meeting was at evening when while chatting easily he had expressed a desire to visit buffalo bill and smug claiming to be a near resident very modestly offered his escort and was so unobtrusive and so eminently proper while confessing to a weakness for horse shows that trent had been quite disarmed at the close of the entertainment the elevated trains being overcrowded smug had carelessly recommended the central alleging that one of its suburban stations was little more than two blocks away and proffered himself as guide as an afterthought and because he could show him a short cut he showed me several concluded trent with a grimace for having lured me away from the crowd and into an almost deserted and ill-lighted street we were suddenly attacked and my short cuts were administered upon my crown some hazy remembrance caused him to believe that they had taken him to their lair half carrying and half dragging him and representing him to an inquiring policeman as being a victim of too much brandy and beer then came his illness a dream of fever pain and delirium and a slow return to reason to find himself a prisoner too weak to lift head or tend and yet fully determined not to help his rapacious captors to a fortune at his father's cost since his return to reason he had as much as possible rejected what he believed to be opiates and had feigned sleep to avoid their threats and importunities and to meet cunning with cunning while thus sleeping he had heard some of their whispered plotting and he was able to explain how it was that mrs camp had succeeded in carrying out her wild but successful venture against mug's acquaintances was a certain widow or a woman who passed for such and called herself a nurse and whose services came high however she was one of the right sort who asked no questions and always obeyed orders upon the night of harry's disappearance there had been an unusual commotion in the house and a recklessness of speech quite uncommon and before morning it was decided that smug should secure the services of this valuable nurse at an early hour as they must have another hand before noon smug had reported the arrival of the nurse at an early hour and the fact that she was hard of hearing was counted in her favour smug had further said to the satisfaction of delbra 
who by the by had never entered trent's room without first assuming the disguise of an elderly foreigner that the woman was especially willing to come because of a little difficulty with the copse who were too attentive for comfort thanks to the successful attention of these same copse the woman had left in mrs camp's hand the means whereby she might penetrate this stronghold of iniquity and so be enabled to do what we had schemed and planned to accomplish and but for her might have made only a partial success mrs camp was the heroine of the hour and we bent to her our diminished heads and willingly declared her a detective indeed for while we had fathomed the disguises of the gang and tracked them home it was her masterly coup that had made of our raid the assured success which it was to say that mrs camp was made much of by hilda o'neill june jenris and miss ross is to put it mildly and the good woman cared far more for the petting and praise of the two pretty girls than for the gratitude and congratulations of all the rest of us and the friends she has found through her singular raid upon smug and company will be her friends for all the years to come how i established a connection between the crook delbra and the fine gentleman who had taken new york society by storm as monsieur maurice voisin was a wonder to many until i had laid before them the process of reasoning by which it was done i had entered the classic fairgrounds intent upon searching among the many faces for two one a blond young englishman the other a dark and handsome frenchman and a letter picked up in the crowd had given me a mental photograph of these two though i knew it not before i had ever seen voisin i had said of him mentally i believe he has tricked miss june jenris and young lossing then i saw him in company with miss jenris that day before our meeting and i could not help seeing how perfectly he answered the description of delbra next we met and i could not believe in him and the glimpses of greenback bob's disguised companion in midway as agent and fakir all were wonderfully like monsieur voisin man of fashion and so from day to day i had watched him as he sought to dazzle the eyes of sweet june jenris hoping for the time when i might unmask him before her then came the attack upon lossing at the bridge in which we both saw the hand of voisin mrs camp too added her quota to the solution of this riddle when she recognized in voisin the swindler of the turkish bazaar and identified the hand of voisin as the hand which had held out the spurious banknotes to camp and finally there came his second attempt to destroy lossing at the cold storage fire ending as it did in his own disaster and revealing to me the scar upon the temple so minutely described in the chief's letter as belonging to delbra the man had maintained a solid indifference and a stubborn silence after his arrest even when he learned how complete was his exposure both as voisin and delbra before his departure for new york a complete record of his misdeeds so far as we knew them was made and put into the hands of jeffreys the man smug or harris as might have been expected was willing to betray his companions in crime now that he knew himself safe from such vengeance as had been meted out to harry the brunette and in the hope of such measure of immunity as is sometimes bestowed upon the rascal who confesses the evil deeds of his associates it was by his testimony that we fixed the theft 
of Monsieur Lausch's diamonds upon the gang, and the attack upon Lossing, or Sir Carroll Ray upon Delbras and Bob. And it was through Hat, the negress, first, and then from Smug, when sharply questioned, that we learned of their last and vilest plot, which was to obtain the ransom of Trent, if possible, or to put him out of the way, if this failed, and then, with their hands free, to purchase a small yacht and to kidnap Miss Jenrys, keeping her out in the lake until she should buy her release by marrying Delbras. The only time when Delbras was seen to blench or appear other than the stolid, sullen, and silent criminal was when Miss Jenrys, accompanied by her aunt, was obliged to appear and identify him as the man who had masqueraded as Monsieur Voisin. Then, indeed, his dark face paled, his eyes fell before hers, and he turned away with bowed head. Clearly such love as such a man can feel had been laid at the feet of queenly June Jenrys, who had learned the truth concerning him with amazement, horror, and loathing. While the body of the brunette, Harry, lay at the morgue, a tramp, strange to the police and to the city, viewed it with the many others who gloat over the horrors of life, and who, having looked long, and with a startled face, pronounced the body to be that of a professional thief long wanted by the authorities out west. He was a born badon, the man declared, and a born thief. He couldn't stay anywhere long on that account. I'll bet he's picked more pockets than any lag at the fair. He was a slick one, like the women, and most generally had a lot of friends among them, wherever he was, and he most generally left them the poorer when he got ready to quit. Little kid, that's what they used to call him, cause he was little and good-looking, but there wasn't a decent hair in his head. And the tramp turned away with a malevolent look at the dead man. And that was all we could learn about Harry, for Smug, ready to talk on all other subjects, would utter no word as to the manner of Harry's death. He had left them, that was all he would say, and by this we knew that Smug was doubtless the decoy who had lulled the suspicions of the victim and made it possible for his bolder spirits to do the deed of death. Delbras was taken to France, and before the closing of the great fair had met his fate at the hands of the French executioner. Greenback Bob and Smug might have spent all their days in prison if they had possessed three lives apiece, so many were the counts against them. Their trials were separate, and came about after weeks of delay. There were no friends with long purses to influence the jury, and unless that elastic pardoning power is stretched for their benefit, as has sometimes happened in similar cases, Greenback Bob and Smug will employ their future time honestly and for the good of the race. Sir Carroll Ray had a very fair reason for remaining in America for a time, and so, placing the business of his newly acquired estates in the hands of the london solicitor who had been sir hugo's legal adviser he remained at the world's fair city where with minds unburdened the entire party with at first the exception of gerald trent who was rapidly recovering in spite of the overwhelming attentions of his friends took up the much interrupted and pleasant employment of seeing the world's fair with eyes that saw no flaws even in the government building the Trents did not linger when the invalid was well enough to travel, but hastened to the home where Mrs. Trent, an invalid still, but a happy one, awaited her son's return impatiently after the long weeks of suspense. There are no weddings in this tale of strange happenings, which, nevertheless, 
are not more strange than many of the unwritten annals of the fair but when the early autumn came two pairs of lovers chaperoned by a discreet little quakeress renewed their acquaintance with the court of honour loitered in the shadows of the peristyle drifted upon the lagoon and pacing its length recalled anew the strange adventures and experiences of that wonderful impossible kaleidoscopic yet utterly and charmingly real midway pleasance the end end of chapter 35 end of against odds by lawrence l lynch read by lynn thompson in the willamette valley